Do you want to count down or anything? We good? Should I count down? <laughs> it's Giving Tuesday. It is. Um, honestly, I've seen more about that than I saw. I feel like I saw about Black Friday. I mean, it's just overtaken my feed. And maybe that means, you know, I follow a yeah, lot. Of, I think you, you follow better people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I follow like good people or a lot of nonprofits that are really trying to get some money. But uh-huh. that's, I mean, that's all that I've had yesterday and today, you know, and even Sunday, you know, people kind of gearing up for Giving Tuesday, get you just start thinking about it. Um, it was kind of crazy. I mean, I don't know. I, cause I, I'd, I'd been thinking you know, black Friday really feels like kind of a bust this year. Like, yeah, I haven't heard a lot about like we went, well, we didn't actually go shopping on Friday. We went shopping on Thursday evening. Um, did you? Yeah. We've done no. that for the past couple of years with, with my, when we were with my mom and she was down with us for Thanksgiving this year. So we went out just for a couple hours, just a handful of stores. Um, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't crazy. Um, yeah. but yeah, it just really felt like, yeah, you know, for the black Friday thing. And I, and I said, you know, I read some stuff that, you know, Hey, where it's kind of, it's down and more people are buying online than are going to stores now and all that stuff. Yeah. The whole, the whole cyber Monday thing is such a concocted. <laughs> well, but I also felt like I didn't hear much about cyber Monday. I mean, I no, had, so, well, I had 8,000 emails about it. Yeah. Right. right. I, um, yeah. just overwhelming my inbox. Like, you know, get five different emails that are like, you know, don't miss it. You know, last chance before it's too late. Like you don't need to send me an email at 1145 PM. If I haven't bought something yet today from you, I'm not going to. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, and we're not a shopping family like that, but, um, Mariana said, Hey, you know, let's like, I'm, I'm going to take the girls out on, uh, just, just to go to target or something on, you know, black Friday. And so it's like seven o'clock we'd had dinner and I was like, all right, sure. You know, I'll, I'll sit here and, look at tweet deck and get right. depressed. So which, as you do, I got to get off of Twitter. I really do. Anyway. So, so she, she gets to, to target with the girls and, and comes back and, and they brought uh bought a Nintendo switch. And, and it was like, what, what? <laughs> that's, 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 that's unexpected. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't, I don't get surprised a lot, but that was surprising. And, uh, we, we played the heck out of some Mario Kart and, uh, Zelda. Yeah, the pictures look it, like you're having neat. fun. It's pretty neat. It's it's a it, it reminds me of, you know, kind of the first Nintendo console, you know, like the NES. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've, I've had I've had all the great Nintendos. Um you know, and I, I was a pretty big gamer when I was a kid and I kind of kept it up when I went to college and I always had you know, the the Nintendo 64 and the the GameCube and all that stuff. Um so, so to see Nintendo kind of come back, it was like, wow, because, you know, they're, they're the Apple of, of gaming, if you will. And they kind of went through a rough patch there with the with the Wii era. I mean, the, the Wii was successful, but then they had the Wii U and the, you know, there was something else. And we had the original Wii. And that's when I was like, eh, this is kind of played out. And it's a little silly. But the, the Switch is a pretty phenomenal little thing. And I haven't gotten to the point now where I have the time to pick it up and play it like handheld in the middle of the day. But you know, I could totally see, like, if you're that type of person who really wants to get invested, you know, like it's it's a it's a pretty neat little device. So, so that so that that worked out for me for Black Friday, <laughs> right? Exactly. All, all that to say, but, you got a fun new gaming device. Yeah, no, but I'm playing it with the 
you know, with with the oldest daughter, and, and she she's actually really good at at uh, like Zelda and, and those types of games. So, yeah, I played some growing up. Like we had a you know original Nintendo, and then we had a Super NES. Um, and then after that, I think that was all that we bought. And then just like my friends had, you know, other consoles. Um, and so I would play with them. So I, w- I played some, but not a lot. I was never really great. And I was in college at the time that Halo was massive, right? The yeah. original Halo. Right. Right. And so, you know, a bunch of my friends played a bunch. So I played with them some and they would do these huge, um, like, uh, I don't know, like what are battles or whatever. And so they were, I don't know what you call it, but like it was, it was a big gaming party and they, you know, some of them lived in an apartment that had the four bedrooms with a living area in the center. And so you, that's when you, you could hook up like the, the different uh, units together, right. To kind of network them. Like, like a land party is what we that, That's it. what it, wait, so, it was. It was, it was a land party. And I, I used to, I used to put my desktop on in my backpack on my back yeah. and like ride a bicycle. To so not the desktop. That's what it was. Right. And so yeah. like you'd have four players on each team and they would go into each one, each team would go into one of the bedrooms and you'd play, you know, Halo for hours and hours and hours into the oh, yeah. middle of the night. Um, but I can distinctly remember when I was first learning to play Halo, you know, I was that guy that was like, no, I definitely pushed the button. It didn't do it. Right? It's the controller's fault. <laughs> I was definitely that guy. You were that all the guy. Time. Yeah. yeah you're, you're, you're just, you're trying to justify your beliefs based on the uh, authenticity of the button press. Exactly. So, yeah. When I was in, I guess ninth grade, um, that game Doom. Do you did you ever yes, play Doom? I played Doom growing up. Yeah, when I was okay. younger, I was in yeah. uh, late ele- elementary, early middle school. Yeah, I played Doom. I mean, when when I was in elementary school, we played. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was ninth grade, and because uh, I, I had to take a keyboarding class, and it was one of the first years that our high school had done like we switched from typewriters over to computers, <laughs> but. Yeah. And they had all of the uh, computers kind of lined up in these rows like you would like, you know, in in a traditional class with your your desks. And they were all connected by LAN, which we promptly figured out pretty quickly. Well, we meaning like the four of us who were computer nerds. So uh, we figured out, hey, you can go into the file system of any computer connected on this old network and copy and paste uh, the previous person's like, keyboarding file because i i forget the details but you had to like type all this stuff and then save it into a text file into your folder uh-huh and that was how you got graded right so we figured out oh we could just go to like this person's folder grab their file from earlier today copy and paste it and then we figured out like while the uninterested you know gym coach is is at the front of the classroom we can just, uh, you know, pop in the Doom uh, floppy drives and create a LAN game. So all of my freshman year, we, <laughs> we played Doom on the very back row uh, on a LAN game during every keyboarding class. And it was fantastic. And it, it taught me how to, yeah, it taught me how to use file systems and right. kind of stuff. That was a fun game. That was. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you look back now and it's like, oh, geez, like you're, you're killing Right, pretty brutal. Yeah, it's very bloody. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was like the first like real game I ever played that I thought like, oh yeah, this is kind of fun. I mean, and, and I guess in in you know kind of a precursor to something like Halo, right? Yeah, totally. It, it was definitely kind of the, the proto uh, Halo, and and then you had uh, what was the other Wolfenstein? 
I never played that one. You never played Wolf and Ugh. No, for me, it was kind of like NES, or, you know, Nintendo, Super NES. All right, did did um, you play GoldenEye? Yes, but okay. I played that like with uh yeah with a friend in high school on his sixty four yeah his right 64. right sixty four yeah. yeah that was college for um, me that was that was all of college <laughs> yeah but so I kind of had a big break there and yeah. I, so I only played like at, after the Super NES and like Mario's and stuff I only played with friends and so it was like Gold Nine a couple other things um and then it was Doom I mean not Doom then it was uh, Halo yeah so. Um, so I was never like a huge gamer, but I had some friends that were kind of into it. So I played when I was with them, but that was about it. So it's there's this whole obviously culture that I I know I don't know well, but you don't you don't have a Steam account, do you? No. Ugh, how do you not have a Steam account? But I at least know what it is. <laughs> so you've never played Portal? Nope. Wow. I thought I knew you, Thomas. <laughs> All these years. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think we would have been like doing that together? Oh, I know. <laughs> that, that, yeah, we we definitely would have not gotten anything done in seminary. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been worse than it already is. Already was. Yeah, and that was around the height of uh, height of of, of uh, portal. Um, yeah. Wow, it's a great game. It's, so anyway, it's 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 weird now to be almost forty and playing with you know my ten year old daughter and and kind of seeing how she reacts and i'm thinking back to when i was 10 um because we we got our first nes when i was i don't know like six or something seven like 1985 whenever it came out we had this stupid little robot that you you could play with um for for us gen x people um and uh and I'm obviously th- duck hunt right <laughs> yeah but i'm thinking back like by the time i was 10 like i've been playing video games for a couple of years and she's she's got a handheld device of I mean, she's got an iPhone um, and she plays some games on there, but she's not a huge gamer, but, but she likes the mythology and stuff of games. So right. anyway, hopefully this will be a gateway drug for her and she'll fall into the rabbit hole of gaming. So how many, how many games do you have on your phone? <laughs> I actually don't play any games at all on my phone, really, which is, you know, I always feel bad about it. Let's see. I've got, um, nope, nope. I've got the stranger things game. And that I haven't played yet. And I believe that's the only game I have. I, I do want to get the uh, what's. Oh, I've got Clash Royale. So another podcast I listen to called Dubai Friday. Uh, they have to do a challenge every week. And, and their challenge a couple of weeks ago was to play Clash Royale. Which is like um, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but boiled down. And I was a huge Dun- Dungeons and Dragons kid, which my Southern Baptist parents hated. So I've got that on there. And I think those are the the two games. I've got lots of Bibles. <clears throat> yeah, I have I have three games on my phone and yeah, literally we, okay, okay. I, uh, I only I'm, I'm play so them. This is this is gonna be fascinating to hear what game. I, I only play them like on an airplane. <laughs> it's the only time I play them. Are they are they like word, like if word games or math games, right? If if I'm not uh if I'm not reading or something. So no, so I did I did used to play words with friends, but you know, I don't play that anymore. So I have um, I have a Tetris. Um, honestly, the Tetris I have is not very good, so I don't really play that one. I have another one that's, that's kind of new called Laps. It's interesting. Like, basically, um, there are numbers that go around a circle, and you get X number of laps, and then you have to kind of put them together, and then they you have to get the numbers together, and then when you get X number of the same number together, they kind of 
um, collide and become a higher, a bigger number, that thing. So it's interesting. And then I have another one that's essentially like a puzzle game um, called Quetzalcoatl. Like the Mexican. Um, uh, yeah. Or Aztec, I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like. So it's, it's one of those where you'll have like, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, like three different colored kind of uh, worms in a, in a board. And you've got to get them onto their corresponding color design, but you obviously have very limited space to do that and everything. Hmm. Um, so so those you, are the you like the puzzle games. games. Yeah. So it's like puzzle games. Have, have you ever played uh, Monument Valley? No. Oh, you'd love it. It's fun. Monument Valley is fun. So, so this is what I need. That's what I need. I need recommendations for, for good games that I would like, because I'd be interested in playing some that, that do have some you know, send out like more substance to them than just here, do a straight puzzle, even though I do like those. Um, yeah. So, so, I'd be so interested in Valley, it's like this narrative and it has a story, which is redundant. Um, but, but the, the there are two now and I, I'm going to install the second one eventually. I, I'm just offshore everything to the switch. Uh, and it's a really fantastic game. Uh, there's also one that was put out by the museum in Naples. I forgot the official name of that museum, the the Art Museum of Naples, uh, called Father and Son. And it's a puzzle game based on um, the the stuff that's at the Naples Museum. Okay. So there's a lot of like Pompeii stuff. So you're you're like the son and, and your father was an archaeologist who worked at the museum. So obviously this is right up my alley. Right. And uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful game there. Really well done. Um, and, and you can play, I think, the first three levels, but then to unlock the rest of the of the levels, you actually have to go to the museum and scan a QR code, which is pretty brilliant marketing. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's called Father and Son. It's I'll, We'll put links. I, I know it's on Android. I think it's on iOS, too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's on iOS. I've, I've, it's <clears> on there. I've looked it up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's very short. I mean, it took me, you know, like an hour to play. But uh, but you get back to ancient Egypt and then you flash forward. You know, it's it's like it's a it's, if you like what we talk about, you'll like this game. So, um, yeah, but I'm I'm not a big like sports ball person. I mean, I like I like motorsports because of the engineering and the science, right? And I grew up around that. So I, I've got like on my Chromebook Pixel Pixelbook thing here. I've got um, Real Racing Three installed because you can install Android apps. Mm-hmm. So I flip the screen around and all of a sudden it's a 12 inch tablet and I play real racing three, like once a week uh, for 10 minutes. And that's my, my racing yeah. thing. Um, but so I, I, I mean, so much of modern gaming is either driven by kind of these, these, you know, clash of clans, clash Royale type games where you're playing right. these online things. And, and Clash Royale, Clash Royale is really brilliant. Um, I, I do like the way they've they set things up, and it, it's it's it is fun to play. Um, or it's it's sports oriented. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. I, I like the I like I like the challenging games. Also, uh, before we move off of this, uh, the Laura Croft games on iOS are puzzle games, and they're so much fun. And I used to play them back in the '90s when you know I was a teenager and. Right, when Laura Croft was big the first time around, you know, yeah. Angelina Jolie. Uh, There's that too. Don't be normative. But uh, so 
she's an archaeologist you know it was, it was right and i was i was into the mythology of there so uh they're fun and and i highly recommend those as, as well they're not accurate you're not gonna you're not gonna win any points with your colleagues <laughs> right especially if they do olmec or aztec or mayan cultures you know but it's uh it's fun to play i, I think we need and i guess it- what's that I was going to say, I mean, the thing for me is like, I've not found games and granted, I don't try a ton of new games that often, but I've not found games that make me want to come back. Yeah. So like, you know, like Mariana's a huge Heyday fan. Okay. Do you know what Heyday is? No. It's like Farmville. So you, st- you, st- you start oh, okay. a farm yeah. and it, it doesn't bug me, but I'm always like, how the hell do you play that? <laughs> but she's like way up there. Like, you know, she plays not hours and hours and hours, but like she, you know, she pops in throughout the day. And that's, that's right. Well, and that's cool. Yeah, that's how that's how Trinity is with um, like two dots. And it's it's kind of like a puzzle game where you have to kind of match certain yeah. things. Um, but I mean, she plays it all the time. Not like constantly, like like you're saying, but it is, you know, she's got a few minutes here waiting on something. She's going to do that. Whereas I'm obviously I mean, like, there's no doubt what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at Twitter. We're going we're gonna to get a Twitter, make ourselves depressed. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Like that yeah. that's what's addictive to me, totally. not the not the game. Totally. I sit in the parking lot of the grocery store and I'm like, well, I'm gonna take four minutes just to myself. You know, it's quiet. Um, you know, I I I don't have to be home here in the next twenty minutes, so I'm just gonna sit here for a second. What what can I do? Oh, I'm gonna open up Twitter and read what happened on political Twitter today. And that's right. the the worst possible thing you can do, it feels like these days. It used to be fun. Yeah. Used to be really fun. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, and we can we can get into that maybe a little bit later. I don't know that I want to get in too deeply because I'll probably end up convincing myself I need to get off Twitter. I'm, I'm so <laughs> close to just saying, you know what? And I'm not ready for that. For, you know, for, when you've done it before, but, uh, and, and I, I, I regret it because I didn't just stop. Whatever, you know, I went all Braveheart and killed my account. Right, <laughs> and now some of my things has like joined in 2010, and I'm like, no, I joined in 2006, and now yeah, I was there early, and then I had to fight to get my handle back, and yeah, it's a drug, it really is, and it's it's like Facebook or Instagram. I mean, Instagram is is definitely a drug for people. Yeah, but I could tell it quit and and walk away. I think. Are you talking to me? Who who are you? I'm. You think you're better than me? I can quit anytime I want to. Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't have to sing gifts to all of my friends all, all day and read Farhead Manju's uh, tweets. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, where else are we going to talk about the just horrid crap that we read? Right? Like these justifications that are that are coming out now of Roy Moore. Thomas, it's, it's, it's morally justifiable to vote for a questionable politician. God uses all kinds of immoral men and women to bring about his purposes, his purposes. He, I like the way, so this author, uh, DC McAllister. Who lives in Charlotte. I know, I saw that. Honestly, I'm thinking about emailing her and saying like, can I interview you? Like, can I, you know, I'll, I'll drive up for the day. You know, hell, that'd be, that'd be a, a gradient or the next time you're you're going to be up like let, let's let's take this person out to uh to interview buy my coffee um 
I'm, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the pence rule. We can buy our coffee. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, God uses all kinds. Of, speaking of immoral men and women to bring about His purposes, but His is not capitalized. You see that? Right. He is actually rather pragmatic regarding the secular world. And, and when I read that little subtitle, I, I really wanted to throw my laptop across the room. I mean, that's you know, th- there's so much to unpack in that, in those two sentences. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, the, right. Where do we begin here? This is all right. So yeah, this is an article um, in the federalist.com, which, the, which we don't read, but it came across the Twitter. <laughs> Again. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Came across yeah. Twitter. Uh, but you know, a lot of people are, are talking about now. It's it's obviously hit a nerve, and I I think rightfully so. So this uh, this lady Denise McAllister, a journalist based in Charlotte, um, is a senior contributor to the Federalist. Um, she writes this article titled "Why It's Justified to Vote for a Morally Questionable Politician." Now it's interesting that three weeks ago she wrote a piece that was um, even Roy Moore is innocent until proven guilty. And now she writes a piece that is saying, okay, yes, yeah, so Roy Moore may have actually sexually molested some minors, but we should still vote for him because God is pragmatic and there are more important things like getting a tax bill passed. And so we're going to vote for the alleged um, sexual assaulter. Character is important, but it's not the only consideration. And and so, I get it, but if if they had, if she had stopped there, that would have been one thing. But then to make this leap, political leaders, not religious leaders. And then her next sentence after that subtitle, most, if not all, of the commentary in the Old and New Testaments on purity and leadership refers to Israel and the church, i.e. the city of God. Thank you, Augustine. Christians are God's covenant people. Oh, okay. Thanks, Paul. And as covenant holders, and I love that that she brings the covenant language language into this, right? Like that's it's just, it's this really just um kind of um, subtle uh, supersession. Well, it, it's like let's take Sam's fingernails and very tiny needles and put them under Sam's fingernails, like one sentence at a time, and just see when Sam breaks. Christians are God's covenant people, not Jews. And as covenant holders, they are obligated not to be covenant breakers. What the heck? Covenantal leaders are obligated to be righteous. And she comes back to righteous at the end of this article, which you know, kills me. So they don't lead God's flock astray. Okay, that's going back to the Romans 8 thing. I get it, but like, no. Uh, the morality is of primary significance, and the lack of it will bring devastation to the entire community. So let's support Roy Moore. <laughs> right. Like, but political leaders, however, are not spiritual leaders. I feel like I'm Rachel Maddow right now. I need some paper to like <laughs> <laughs> just start stacking in front of you. Yeah. She never reads from it. It's just there. No. Just furiously stacks just, the paper. Just you know, have you any decency? That's that's my Rachel Maddow. Political leaders, however, are not spiritual leaders with the same responsibilities, burdens, and covenantal obligations of leaders within Scripture. This doesn't mean we can willy-nilly vote for immoral men. Ding. 
Only when there's a tax bill to pass. (laughs) Because there are consequences to these kinds of choices in everyday secular life. But the prophetic gloom and doom that often comes from Christians, not Jews, who treat politicians as as if they're God's covenantal leaders is completely inappropriate. I mean, they're just men. I threw in the last part. Right. So anyway. So, so so, So in that paragraph, she says, I mean, I know we shouldn't be trying to like look at find logic in this, but she says Christians are covenant people. And so they should not be covenant breakers. Roy Moore is a Christian. And so, but it's okay if he's a covenant breaker, because now he's a political leader, even though his whole career has been staked on his Christian identity and um, on the bench. So, so, I mean, that that's obviously problematic. I mean, it, it's just the she's just going to these absurd lengths to try to justify voting for a morally repugnant person. God, God uses right. evil men to carry out his purposes. Right. So there's this idea like, you know, kind of threw in the oh, yeah, I remember Cyrus. Right. Which was a lot of what we got for justifications that people were making about voting for Donald Trump is what he's kind of like Cyrus. Right. He's like not a great person, but he's going to deliver God. Well, that's people. always been the just. You know, the justification for Trump as well from many evangelical uh, leaders. Right. Well, you, sir, are no Cyrus. Yeah. But but then she goes on later and, you know, has a lot later. It's a long piece. Says that doesn't mean morality doesn't matter. Okay. That's one of her sections. And she says these immoralities don't go without consequence, of course. They will degrade the man as an individual. This can affect him personally over the long run. It could, through consequences, impact his public decision making or influence, ripping from him his moral authority. So, yes, there are effects, right, is what she says, of our personal moral choices in our public lives. But these are long and winding paths and more nuanced than we often make them out to be. Like, nowhere in here does she talk about the people that he allegedly molested. Right? So his immoralities don't just have consequences for degrading him as an individual. They have consequences for the people that he sexually assaulted. Thomas King David was an adulterer. Samson was a womanizer. Jonah was a coward. Peter denied Christ. All served God. Well. And and that's that's the frustrating part to me. So I, I posted this on, on Facebook today, of course, because, you know, that's what I do. Righteous indignation. <laughs> and uh, yep. I, I got into a, a, a thread with a, a really good, very intelligent friend who was like, well, you know, there is, uh, it's, it's this false outrage and yeah, you know, be outraged, but there's stuff to be outraged. Hashtag both sides. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about the other side? You see, well, all the stuff that the liberals are doing and, you know, the, Al Franken, Harvey Weinstein, John Conyers, like, yes, yes, sure. That be outraged. But that doesn't mean that we should not be outraged about a pedophile running for the Senate who's going to win and go to the Senate in the name of politics. Like that's outrageous. And we had Republican leaders who, I know you're trying to get me riled up. We had Republican leaders who <laughs> came out against them. And now they're, they're kind of being milk tests and saying, well, you know, it would be nice to have that Senate seat, you know, Supreme court. And it doesn't really matter about the content of the character of the person. And it's just to achieve a, a political goal, which in this case is to get that seat into the R column so that we can make sure that we get this tax bill through to make sure that, you know, uh, bajillionaires get their, uh, their, their huge tax break. And that's the most frustrating part for me is, is the what about ism that I see on the other side from, from evangelicals, from, I, look, and I'm an evangelical, so please, you know, at me because I, I would 
definitely love to take you. Please at me. Uh, that I see from fellow evangelicals. How, how about I say it that way? Um, this whataboutism, this, this, well, Bill Clinton, you know, Monica Lewinsky was only what, 21, 22, 27, whatever, you know, who knows? Um, it, it's, it's such a, a terrible state that we're in. So here's the thing. Um, and this was, a um, a piece that I tweeted a few weeks ago and, um, that, you know, somebody shared part of it with me again after I was talking about this on Twitter today from NPR and this poll that they did. Um, and it's, it's just this kind of, I mean, it's staggering when you look at it, when you look at how white evangelicals views on politicians and morality have shifted. So in 2011, 30% of white evangelicals said that an elected official who commits an immoral act in their personal life can still behave unethically and fulfill their duties. So only 30% of white evangelicals thought um, that an elected official did, did something immoral could still be a generally ethical person. In 2016, that number was 72%. I mean, it is just staggering. Now, everybody's number has gone up. Um, uh all Americans overall has gone up. Well, everybody except the unaffiliated, which is interesting that the unaffiliated potentially have stronger morals, morals than all the religious people. But Americans as a whole have gone up slightly. White mainline Protestants have gone up slightly and Catholics have gone up slightly. But when you look at this chart, it is just amazing and staggering the difference, the rate at which white evangelicals have shifted their view on this. Right. And so, yes, it's a lot faster, a lot steeper change than other groups. But I also the other thing and and I I just don't think that we can just let this go by the wayside is for years and years and years. Right. What I grew up hearing, what we heard through all throughout the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal was that, a, a you know, a leader's character is important. Right. Right. I remember having arguments with people about. Uh, Barack Obama, and they thought he was a Muslim and me saying, well, first, he's not a Muslim, but if he were, that wouldn't matter. Well, I don't know. It might matter. You know, so these kind of crazy things that because apparently if he was a Muslim, that'd be like bad and he'd be an immoral person or whatever. Right. And and so we have this. It, it It's just hard. I guess what I want to know is, is there any way to look at this and not see just rank hypocrisy? So, uh, Denise McAllister actually responded. So Ben Shapiro evidently uh, wrote an article in the Daily Wire, and he invited her to write a response to that. And this is just within the last few minutes. She's posted this piece, or the Daily Wire has posted this piece, where uh, she's responding to his charges. And it's a very long piece, but I'm just trying to skim through it here. Um after responding to an article that I read at the Federalist explaining why Christians are justified in voting for Rory Moore or any other morally questionable candidate, Ben Shapiro graciously invited me to publish a counter to his response. I indeed, because I believe the premise against which Ben argued is not completely true to my post. If the fault was my failure to communicate clearly and not a misunderstanding on the reader's part. Yeah. Sorry, reader. I'm thankful for the opportunity to clarify. I hope you are. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, um, she talks about how it's it's important to establish terminology. 
I'm also not talking about a pedophile that has molested children. A pedophile being someone sexually interested in a child in children under the age of 13 hmm. and not That's applicable nice in the more case. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> they were 14, so they must have cut off. It's okay. It's cool. I have a 10-year-old daughter. Let me tell you, if mm-hmm. I'm working from the presumption that many voters supporting more in Alabama don't believe the allegations of sexual assault. While they may, be, uh, while they might believe he was interested in young girls sixteen years or older before he was married, nearly forty years ago. This is the moral context of my post, not a defense of putting evil incarnate into a leadership position. Okay, so so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to read this whole post, but <laughs> but there, I mean, there's obviously little, 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 right. There, I mean, there are obviously problems with this, right? The fact that that she says that pedophilia does not, uh, and I've seen a number of people make this argument that pedophilia doesn't uh, isn't applicable in the Roy Moore case because oftentimes um, the kind of cutoff age for pedophilia is age thirteen, so that conveniently cuts out the fourteen year old um, that Roy Moore allegedly uh, sexually assaulted. So does her saying that, well, he might have been interested in young girls 16 years and older because that was the um, at the time, the legal age, right, of consent in Alabama. And there were some girls between 16 and 18 that said that uh, Roy Moore had, um, you know, made advances on them and, and sometimes physically and sometimes otherwise. But that, right, she leaves this wonderful gap in here, this very convenient gap of the 14-year-old who, you know, the person who was 14 at the time um, that they alleged that Roy Moore sexually assaulted them, right? I mean, so it's just kind of amazing. And and she's saying she's working with the presumption that many voters in Alabama, in, in Alabama don't believe that Moore is guilty of sexual assault. Okay, but do you, right? That'd be my question to... Denise is, do you believe that Roy Moore is guilty of sexual assault? Right. So she goes on to say that um, her premise, the point she was trying to make is it might be morally justified to vote for an immoral and imperfect man to achieve a good thing. Okay. So that's what she says her premise is. But she says that she's not talking about, um, you know, putting evil in there, but she says, I'm talking about personal sins and past immoral actions that taint one's character. And she specifically says she's not talking about established criminality, abuses, or moral failings that would outright disqualify a candidate from office. It seems to me that sexually assaulting a 14-year-old is a moral failing that would outright disqualify a candidate from public office. The other convenient thing here that she seems to be playing into, and I've seen a lot of defenders of Moore play into, is, well, he's innocent until proven guilty. Well, And that would mean in a criminal case. Well, it's past the statute of limitations, so there is no chance that there would be a criminal case brought against Roy Moore. So he can't be proven guilty in the way that they, uh, you know, like to. So they're, you know, they're kind of painting this wonderful gray area that they can stay in. Well, he was innocent until proven guilty, and so if he's proven guilty, then absolutely he should, you know, withdraw from the race. Well, there's absolutely no way he can be proven guilty at this point. I don't know. So I, I got to read the rest of the piece and, and see what she says. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of amazing. You know, she definitely goes into some Augustine yeah, she, here. She really plays into the Augustine um, thing and lot, uh, long exposition on the city of God. Um, the only damage might be political, but Christians aren't called by God to worry about political damage, only spiritual damage. 
when it comes to governing decisions, laws, and rules, which choice will cause the greater spiritual damage and threaten God's people and their worship of God in the long run? An immoral man with sins from his past who stands for religious liberty and right to life, or a, quote, moral, unquote, man who threatens religious liberty and stands for death? So it's all about right, abortion. so the premise of that is that a Democrat cannot be a yeah, moral Yeah, because you, you believe in abortion. Or, I mean, you, you that, don't believe that, in that, abortion. The women should have the right, right to choose. Right. The women should have the right to choose what happens to their body. Right, that, so that's the premise there. And I, and I think that's an important point to get at because I do think that that's where, that's where a lot of evangelicals are. I mean, that's where I was when I was, you know, a, a very vehement, you know, 15-year-old evangelical. I wholeheartedly believed that the only really moral people were people like me that were Republican and evangelical, that nobody else, that it was everyone else was absolutely incapable of being a moral person. And and so at the heart of it, I mean, and this is, I mean, and this is, I, I guess what, what really grates me is that we're not having a conversation where both parties are engaged in it in a good right, faith effort. Exactly. But, but because, you should hear everyone out, Thomas. I mean, you should hear everyone out. Right. And that's what that's what we're reading her pieces, right? That's what we're trying to do. But when she comes to it with the with the automatic presumption that anyone who um, says that women should have the right to choose what happens to their body is automatically not a moral person, you're not having a conversation in good faith. Yeah. I mean, but but we elected a president who said that, you know, he, he would use a litmus test for Supreme Court justices. And and that's, you know, it's not just about choice. It's, it's also about, you know, all sorts of variables there. And when you say abortion, I mean, it's such a hot, you know, blooded issue, but it, it, you can't you can't walk in other people's shoes and understand what's going on without really talking to them and to have these kinds of automatic litmus tests like that's not christian that's not evangelical that's just trying to you know take uh take a pedophile and and win a senate seat so that you know you, you can pass uh you can pass legislation that your pastor tells you you should do It's about winning, you know, which is what Donald Trump got right. You know, like he nailed, he right. nailed that, that That's absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it is, it's, I don't know. It, it's sad for, for multiple parties here, right? It's sad for American evangelicalism and it's sad for the Republican party that the two have become nearly indistinguishable and that the, um, the most strident and fundamentalist, portions of both groups have become nearly indistinguishable and that to be evangelical is to be Republican and vice versa. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know, on the, you know, on the one hand, you're right with, with the point you were making earlier, we shouldn't be surprised at this because this is just round two or round 15 or whatever after the election of Donald Trump, who admitted that he sexually assaulted women or bragged about doing it, even he, even if he didn't do it. He bragged about it because he thought it made him look cool in front of Billy Bush. And 
what, 81% of white evangelicals still voted for him? So, you know, so Ross Dude had asks in the New York Times, is there an evangelical crisis? And the question he's trying to get at is there's a, um, there's a, kind of a generational divide between younger evangelicals and older evangelicals. And he's right about that, as we've been talking about on this show for a couple of years. But there is an evangelical crisis, and the crisis is white evangelicals, right? When you're sitting around trying to figure out, how can I convince people that it's morally and biblically acceptable to vote for a person who is, yes, only alleged, but all the evidence is pretty overwhelming and pretty damning that he sexually assaulted minors, I don't. I don't know what to say to you. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So, so what do you think? Like, like Southern Baptists, for instance, they're losing members. Yeah, you know, the, the churches aren't growing, and you know, June 9th, I mean, Bob Allen wrote about this in Baptist News Global, the latest Lifeway Christian Resources annual church profile. That's a fun acronym. Uh, reports a combined membership of 47,272 churches at 15,216,978 for the church year in 2016. That's a loss of 77,786 members from 2015. Or, you know, if you do the math, it's <clears throat> over a million in the last 10 years. Baptisms, baptisms are way down. Uh, new churches aren't joining the Southern Baptist Convention. Are, are we are we given the base too much of a voice? Yeah. Are we given the the Trump base too much of a voice and legitimacy by talking about them this much? Like like this Denise McAllister person, like or the federal, you know, like we're giving them the spotlight. And yes, we should point it out. And yes, Donald Trump is president. But again, if any other candidate had been running against Donald Trump, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> hashtag. Um. You know, I mean, President Sanders here would not have, we, we would not be given the spotlight to these assholes. And it feels to me that, you know, we, we're trying to explain away something and in and, and doing so, we're giving so much credence to the 4chan, you know, crazy evangelicals that, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense, but I, I think the I think the problem with that perspective is that these are the people who voted for yeah. him and ended up somehow it, winning it's the like electoral the new, the new reports are coming out that he was surprised speechless, like he could not talk <laughs> after right, the election, right. and they had planned like a like a, a a pulling out ceremony, as it were. Um, <laughs> practice don't don't do that it doesn't work uh but, you know to to in case his his numbers dipped uh during the fall and uh you know evidently he was he was shocked that he won and and it, it still feels that way i mean he's still legislating the the election right and he's still trying to i mean he he's definitely um you know, sensitive about his electoral win. He knows that he, that he lost the popular vote uh, and, you know, all he can do is still talk about Hillary Clinton and talk about his election. 
right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, right, he's the he's the you know guy that won the state championship in high school, and he's still talking about it forty years later. The only difference is now he's the president of the United States. <laughs> so you're, you're but, saying he peaked too early? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. Um, I mean, he has nothing else to give, right? He won this election, and now he's like, "Oh shit, what do I do?" Right? He's in way over his head. I think that's obvious. But, but, but back to your question, I think, yeah. So, so in the in that Times piece uh, about the evangelical crisis, right, dude had, says he repeats this prominent conservative myth that mainline uh, Protestant denominations are losing members, but conservative evangelical denominations continue to grow. And he uses two-year-old data to make that argument. And he doesn't look at the data that you mentioned that shows the Southern Baptist Convention has lost a million members in the past two years. Baptisms are at what, a 70-year low. So it's just not true anymore. And honestly, I think that we're going to see that rate of decrease uh, increase for conservative yeah, for sure. evangelical churches. Uh, post Donald Trump's election. I think we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing um, a number of mainline churches grow, right? They're you know having a lot more people uh, come there because they're not this kind of caricature of um, you know conservative evangelicalism, evangelicalism in this country. Um, and I, I think that's what's what's so frustrating about it is that that's what it has become. It has become the caricature that people claim that it was for so long that it resisted, right? Because it said, no, we are not that way. We really do. We care about family values. We, we have the, we think the character is important. We have our principles and our morals and nothing will cause us to waver from those until we get Donald Trump, who is, would be the last person you would ever imagine that somebody that has taken those stands would vote for. Not only did they vote for him, yes, some people closed their eyes and held their nose and pushed the button. But when 81% of white evangelicals voted for him, they didn't all do that. And when you have um, things like this coming out in support of Roy Moore and the same types of things that were coming out in support of Donald Trump by Jerry Falwell Jr. and by you know a number of people like that, Franklin Graham, right? These massive figures in white conservative evangelicalism. I mean, what do they? What do they? They see a chance to be um, you know, a court pastor, basically, and they're attracted to the power of it, and they don't care how horrible of a person he is. And now they're sitting around trying to justify why he's actually not that bad of a person. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's just I've tried for so long to not give in to this is just who white evangelicals are now. But I mean, it, it's, it's tr- just about becoming impossible. And yes, I know plenty of personally white evangelicals that aren't like this, but what becomes more and more evident every day is that they're the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I think it's fascinating that, that such a, I'm not going to say a small number of, uh, of Americans, but it makes for a great story, you know, on, on a website or, or in a newspaper to say, you know, isn't it crazy what these evangelicals are doing? But I, I, I do wish, and maybe it's the Facebook or Twitter effect or whatever. I do wish that the same newspapers and, and, and TV outlets and all that stuff gave the same credence to, you know, the, the overwhelmingly large number of mainline Protestants and Catholics and other types of Christians that aren't 
tied to being in the Trump base. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's right. And I do think that. The yeah, Trump and, and I'm, I'm not saying we have to ignore them or that, you know, it's only 35 percent of Americans because, um, I mean, it's my people. <laughs> it's, it's where my family all voted for Trump, I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> it's it's. I, I feel like we we magnify it, and I think people like Trump feed on that because he's a narcissist and he's a he's a insanely selfish, terrible human being. And I use the word human sparingly there, but I think that those types of people are able to play on that sort of you know, a small percentage of a pace that's always going to be there. And, and the, the trap that we fall into that, I mean, I'm not going to say the Br'er rabbit trap for obvious reasons, but you know, don't, don't throw me in the, you know, in, in the, in the, in the, in the patch there. That's kind of exactly what, what we're doing here. And, and that mentality ruled over the United States for so long, whether it was writing the constitution or the civil war or the myth of the lost cause or Jim Crow laws or, you know, the Confederate flag is not a flag of hatred. It's a flag of heritage and all that crap. Um, you know, that flew over my state capital for, you know, 50 years or some stupid ass reason that is, is that the Florida state bell or is that, you have? no, it's, um, huh. it's a clock. We've got a, um, we got a nice, nice um, grandmother clock. Now you guys upgraded. Yep. So it's chiming on the hour. Um, You know, so anyway, I'm I'm saying, I'm not saying we're magnifying it because yeah, one, one third of Americans saying that's one thing, but it doesn't, it's not mainstream. And yes, the, the president is president because of those people. And we should explore that. But the danger we get into is thinking that, well, you know, everybody's got to come to the table and we all got to we all got to uh, agree on whatever we need to agree on in order in order to move things forward and we should be trying to find the center. When it, I, I think it's okay for us in the mainstream to sometimes tell people, no, Richard Spencer is not someone that you should listen to. Take his freaking blue check away on Twitter. You know, no, uh, this Denise McAllister lady is... It's a McAllister. I don't want to say her name. Yeah. McAllister makes a, a very tasty sandwich, by the way. Um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have them in Columbia. It makes me really sad. Uh, she, that is not a voice that you need to listen to when you think about why or how people could vote for Rory Moore or how you should interpret the Old Testament or how you, sh- you should interpret the biblical witness when it comes to times like these. And I, I feel like... W- we need to be able to say no in a in a more and in a better way because i don't think we do that and i don't think we know how to do that but it looks like what, what does that look like the centrism of people like george hw bush <laughs> you know it looks like the centrism of bob dole where it's like okay you you've got your uh, your crazy pat Buchanan's over there i'm the it looks like it looks like mitt romney it it looks like respectable leaders I, even though I know the 47% thing and, and I did not vote for Mitt Romney, but I, I, I didn't vote for Obama either. But th- the idea that 
But we are all dreaming longingly <laughs> of Mitt Romney these days. Go watch the Netflix uh, documentary, Mitt. It's it's a hell of a documentary. It's good. He he uh, he he irons his cuffs on his shirt. Have you seen this documentary? Well, no, I've not seen it. But why would no, you not? While iron he's the cuffs wearing this shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, that's right. I've seen it's that. Like, I've what seen are you doing? Pictures. Okay, I and don't. Somebody do that. asked him. That's he's like, "Well, you got to have these. You, these got to look good." <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, what? You know, and yes, he's from the he's from a, a privileged class, and he's a Mormon, whatever you want to say. But there's a mainstream that we're leaving behind in all of our Facebook and Twitter stuff, and our our yes, as my friend was saying on Facebook today, our, our need to be outraged. You know, like we we look to the Denise McAllisters, and we get outraged, and we write these um, medium pieces uh, against them. You know, these thought pieces saying here here's why you're a terrible human being and you read the Bible wrong. When in fact we should be saying you're just wrong. You're not, this is not mainstream. Like this is not American. And I'm not going to be afraid of you because your voice is minimal and you need to change your ways and come on board here. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to, how to square that circle, but, but it feels like the way we're going is not going to do it where we, legitimize the Donald Trumps of the world, not just by electing them president, but by saying, well, we, we got to listen to that voice and we got to bring him into the big, big the circle. And we, we, we need to compromise and figure it out. I mean, the, no, we need to be able to say, that's not right. That's not what we stand for. That's not what our country was founded on. Um, whatever, whatever your, you know, sort of argument there is, but. Which is why we spent the last half hour. I know. Lambasting. I know. Totally. This, totally. Denise because, because it, it is completely this is not exactly worthy of anyone's want. acceptance. Um, it's morally bankrupt and, morally and we're playing bankrupt. into it we're, with the and retweets it, and with, with the, with the Facebook post, like we're playing directly into this, whether you're on the right side or the wrong side. And that's why I love star Wars, you know, cause you know who the bad guys are and you can say, Oh, I like Kylo Ren cause he's, you know, whatever. But, yeah, yeah, go, go go like Kylo Ren. But you know what's going to happen to Kylo Ren? Eventually, either he's going to turn good or he's going to die. And we as humans are are, are reasoning machines. You know, we we, we want to have a reason for something. We want to try to explain away these evangelicals, these crazy evangelicals. Why, why do they believe this? Like, clearly this isn't the right way. Let's have a whole documentary on it. I'm going to walk around Alabama and talk to all these, you know, people and and get them on the show and ooh, they said the N word. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm going to get great clicks now. No, we, we should be able to say you're wrong. Like you're wrong. You're on the wrong side of history. Here's the biblical witness. If you're of that persuasion, here's just morality. If you're of that persuasion and, and Denise McAllister, you're wrong. End of story. And I'm not going to give you any clicks because that's what you're going for here. I get it. I work in marketing, you know, and this is all marketing. <sighs> no, so we should no, just ignore no, it. No, we should we should call it out and say they're wrong. But but this hand wringing that we constantly do. I, I I'm just trying on this all technology. I don't know if this is the right approach. Please please at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my head around this shit. I. I I don't know. I mean, it, okay. So punch, punch holes in what I'm saying. 
I mean, I think that I, I think on the one hand, yes, like, um, I, th- I think that, you know, people with a certain platform should not be, um, giving air to things like this, uh, or, you know, like the, obviously the New York times, uh, Nazi fluff piece basically that came out over the weekend that everybody was freaking out about. I think that it's right for people to call it out. Yes. Uh, the more that people called it out, the more attention it drew. I understand how all that works, but I also think you can't just sit by and not call it out. Right. Because then, then you're just kind of in some ways, maybe that's giving it tacit approval. And, and I don't think that we can do that. I also think that yes, they're a minority, but they're the minority right now that's in control. And even if you think like I do, I think that there are, there are plenty of Republicans who are uh, good and decent people. I think a lot of them are. I think a lot of the ones serving as politicians are, and they really are, you know, they, they're trying to do what they think is right. I'm not somebody who just thinks that every single politician across the board is corrupt. Um, I, I know politicians at various levels and there are plenty that are corrupt. And I think there are plenty that aren't. And I think, you know, the vast majority of them got in it because they're really wanting to try to do some good. I believe that. So, but I also think that the, the Republicans on the national level have allowed their party to be overrun, right? We saw this with the Tea Party. We thought they were drawing it back, but they didn't. And they've given their party over to a group that is, you know, Tea Party 2.0, but now even more infused with Jesus. And, and so it, it, this, is, this is the group that has power right now, All right? And so it's, you know, kind of like this is our... Um, I don't want to say re- act of resistance because that seems kind of cliche now, but I'm thinking about it in the, in the James Scott way, right? That we are we are um, kind of pushing against the public transcript, and more and more this type of stuff is coming into the public transcript. So that you know that's why you and I think it's so important to keep saying this is not normal because it gets really easy to forget what normal used to look like and to begin to accept that, okay, yeah, maybe a guy who has been accused by multiple people of sexually molesting them when they were minors. Yeah. Maybe it's not so bad of a guy to have in the Senate, right? We need our vote, right? I mean, after you've elected somebody like Donald Trump, that's not a far leap to make. So, so I guess part of me feels like we need to continue to call this out. Yes, call it out on both sides. Yes, John Conyers needs to resign. Yes, Al Franken probably also needs to resign. The Democrats have no moral authority on this in the way that they're dancing around this, right? But also, I've there may be, and if there are, send them to me. I've not seen Democrats trying to use their religion to justify why someone who, one of their own who has been accused of um, you know, sexual harassment or sexual assault should be allowed to stay in Congress. I've not seen that. We only we, see we that see on one screen side. Darkly. Yeah. I don't know. 